The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines this morning. Amazon amazes the e-commerce giant posts a blowout quarter, beating on both the top and bottom lines as cost-cutting efforts help the company deliver its biggest earnings beat since early 2021. The shine comes out of Apple, shares dropping in extended trade as the iPhone maker grapples with declining sales of its consumer devices, while CEO Tim Cook doubles down on making AI core to its business strategy. And Treasury yields uh, break higher with U.S. bonds uh, shedding nearly all their gains for 2023 as investors brace uh, for the latest non-farm payrolls report for clues on the Fed's next move. Don't bet on a rate cut. Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey tells uh, our very own uh, Jamana Bursache the fight against inflation is far from over and that the central bank will make its decisions as the data comes in. Well, every meeting is a live meeting in that sense, yes. And the decision is a, you know, it, it always is in a way, really, mm. because every, every meeting we have new evidence and we take the decision mm. based on that. And crude prices are on track for their sixth straight week of gains for the first time in more than a year as Saudi Arabia extends output cuts into September, with Russia also pledging additional export cuts. Well, good morning. Uh, I've just got to say, Tenvir, TGIF, what a week it has been. <laughs> you and I have had a lot of fun anchoring yeah. around this set, but uh, markets, not so, not so much. It hasn't been a great week for markets, has it? It hasn't been, and of course, the Fitch downgrade made things murkier for the markets. Uh, but we had the Bank of England's decision yesterday, so the key policy events, at least for this month, are out of the way. Now the focus is squarely going to be beyond earnings on what cues the market slashes onto, which is essentially economic data, underlying economic data. Uh, and takes uh, things forward from there directionally. Yeah. Right now, it's, it seems like one, it's one all up in the air. One last thing we need to get through to make it to the end of the week. What That's that jobs report of later course, today. Of, of course, of course. The jobs report. We're going to talk more about that on the show. <laughs> of course, indeed. Let's uh, um, drill down to earnings. Uh, keep it with the big tech names. Amazon soared in extended trade after posting second quarter earnings of uh, 65 cents a share almost double analyst expectations and also beating forecasts on more than $134 billion uh, in overall revenues. Uh, the e-commerce giant gave positive guidance for the third quarter, putting the top end of its forecast around $5 billion above analyst expectations. The firm's uh, web services di division, that is AWS, uh, posted its sixth straight quarter of uh, slowing sales growth, but CEO Andy Jassy uh, said he remains bullish on the division and highlighted that its growth figure is still at double digits. Well, who else can get the best perspective, can give the best perspective on tech than Arjun Karpal, who joins us this early morning right here around the studios. Arjun, great to see you. Good what morning. What a lovely introduction, Tanvir. Brightened up my Friday. You deserve What's your own sense? Your, your first take on the earnings. Uh, so Amazon, there were low expectations coming into this report. The market was quite bearish on, on what Amazon would present. Uh, 
and the job, the main job for Amazon and its management was to just show stability. And that's exactly what it did. It had its biggest uh, profit beat since 2020, EPS 65 cents versus the 35 cents uh, expected. And of course, the market always focused on that AWS figure. 12% growth year on year in the quarter for AWS. And that was slower than the prior quarter, but it was much better than the market had feared. And that was really uh, key here as well. Operating income for AWS also better uh, versus uh, the prior quarter as well. So those are good signs of, of stability coming back into the business. Uh, on the back of some of those cost cuts, but also in terms of uh, customers perhaps not cutting spend as much as Amazon had previously signaled as well. The guidance was key, and we've seen a theme of this tech earnings season has really been how the companies guide for the rest of the year, and Amazon saying that they're expecting growth between 9 and 13% as well, again, ahead of expectations. So those, for me, for Amazon, were the, were the big bright spots. Right. On AWS, which constitutes almost 70% of Amazon's operating profit, right, this has been the lowest growth since 2015. I wonder how are they going to be combating that? Because I know, you, as you pointed out, part of the growth has come in from cost cuts, right? But going forward, they need to get traction on AWS because it's, uh, it's uh, very sensitive for how shareholders view the stock. Yeah, I think one important point here is that AWS prior was growing at some, some pretty hefty things. We're looking at 40% plus growth, 30%. And given the size of this business, you know, 22 billion, in the last quarter. It's not going to be able to sustain those kind of growth rates. But the key for, for Amazon here is how, you know, they talked a lot about AI, as every company did. Uh, Andy Jassy called it transformative. He mentioned generative AI about 24 times, I think, on the call. Uh, and the company's released its own generative AI model now called Bedrock. And so I think the next leg of growth for AWS is going to be how well the market receives its AI product. But the key is here that it's facing ever stiffer competition from Microsoft with, mm -hmm. with its open AI investment, with its push into AI. So when it comes to, I think, cloud, that, that, that trend of businesses going digital is not going away. That's mm -hmm. gonna continue. Yes, the pandemic pulled forward, forward some of that demand, but over the long term, that is yeah. a trend that's gonna continue. And the next leg of growth many see perhaps coming from some of these AI applications. Mm -hmm. Well, the market reaction has been quite positive for Amazon. We're trading almost up 9% in after hours, but let's shift gear a little bit because uh, I wanna talk about another stock that was slightly disappointing to the market, and that is Apple. Uh, of course, one of the uh, largest companies in the world. By market cap, it actually is the largest company in the world in the U.S. Apple posted a mixed bag for the third quarter, beating soft Wall Street expectations on revenue and earnings per share, but reported its third straight quarter of declining sales, nearing its longest streak in 20 years. Apple fell more than 2% in extended trade, putting its $3 trillion valuation at risk if declines continue after the open. This after the CFO Luca Maestri said investors could expect similar performance in the fourth quarter, suggesting the company's numbers could miss analyst estimates on revenue, though the upcoming iPhone 15 release could turn its fortunes around. You know, I've got to say, this isn't too surprising in light of the numbers that we got out of Qualcomm yesterday as well. And that was also showing indications that some of the, the sales in the smartphone markets had started to slow down. And of course, 
now we see it. We're actually visibly seeing it on Apple. My question is how they can turn this around. Well, most, most analysts are expecting the smartphone market to decline again this year. Um, the, the macroeconomic situation is difficult. Consumers are holding on to phones longer. There's a lot of trends here that don't play in Apple's favor. I think the iPhone revenue down about 2% in the quarter was a big concern. The key is going to be that iPhone 15 and how much traction that gets. One of the things Apple has done successfully is continue to dominate that very high-end uh, space in the smartphone market. It's got its customers to continue to buy these very expensive iPhones. And that's something that you saw in China in the last quarter. It's something you've seen uh, sort of it do very successfully in services as well. It's more than one billion iPhone user base. It continues to get revenue out of the key is again, as I mentioned, how much traction will yeah. the iPhone 15 get? Uh, how does it land in the market? What are the new features that are going to get people to upgrade? Because, you know, as we get up, as these quarters, as we get up to the new iPhone launch, often what you find is people perhaps hold off iPhone customers. Hold, oh, the new one's coming out soon. I'll wait for that. And that's sort of what happens so that demand gets gets pushed out more into the December quarter around that key holiday season. So if if Apple's indicating when we get the next quarterly earning reports that actually the December quarter is going to be slow, that's going to be a big concern, yeah. a bigger concern than it was mm. sort of now. And Definitely I think that's going to be key. a lot of seasonality with the, start with the Apple because there certainly of the big is. launch times that they do in Q4. Um, let us bring in uh, Ben Wood, the chief analyst from CCS Insight, just to round up the conversation. Ben, uh, Arjun was just running us through some of the highlights from Apple. And I I think it's safe to say that smartphone sales have started to slow down. Uh, we are still seeing good growth in services. Can the strength in services compensate for the weakness in smartphone sales? Well, I think they are such a big part of Apple's business now. You know, with as Arjun said, with those kind of one billion active users that they have on their services platform, it really is astonishing. But I don't think we should underestimate the performance of iPhone as well. And I think one of the really, really daunting facts that came out of the earnings was the fact that Apple saw a record number of iPhone switches from Android last quarter. And that must be hugely daunting for rival phone makers. And it's consistent with the research we've been doing at CCS Insight. We're deeply concerned about the loss of consumers in the premium Android space. And as you alluded to, Qualcomm's earnings reflected that they're feeling the pressure as well. Um, obviously, you know, they're suppliers to Apple right now, but um, the problem is once someone has an iPhone, they tend to lock into the Apple ecosystem and they never leave. And then, then brings us into that services story you're talking about. Yeah, I was uh, having a chat offline with Arjun about that the other day. And uh, if you look at the numbers, actually, uh, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think uh, the total smartphone market that Apple captures is $2 billion, of which $1 billion are also tied into the services ecosystem. Is it your view that they're going to try to convert more of those users uh, into services users as well? Is that could be, that be one area of growth for Apple going forwards? Absolutely. I mean, they revealed that they have this installed base of over 2 billion active devices now. They've talked about that before. It's an astonishing footprint. Um, they are in a position where the iPhone is what I like to call the gift that keeps on giving. Um, once someone has an iPhone, they will continue to spend money through the services platform. That can be numerous things, Apple Music, Apple Pay. Uh, they have insurance products. Um, there's a whole host of ways in which they take uh, revenue. iCloud is another one. Um, and their rivals don't have that luxury. Um, and then what you also see is the ecosystem of products works really well. So they talked about Apple Watch doing really well in China. Uh, and our research shows that when someone gets an Apple Watch on their wrist, they're firmly locked into the Apple ecosystem. And then Apple also noted that two thirds of Apple Watch sales were to new consumers. 
So it means that they're locking them even more uh, into the ecosystem. Add to that the second-hand market, which is seeing astonishing growth, 14% year-on-year, according to CCS Insight, at a time when the smartphone market is in decline. Uh, You mentioned that as well in your commentary, you know, down 2% year-on-year. It shows that um, Apple is winning not only with new sales, but second-hand sales, which gets the iPhone into the hands of consumers who maybe can't afford a new one, brings them into the ecosystem and can drive services revenue. Going back to that concept of the gift that keeps on giving, the iPhone, once it's in someone's hands, is an ongoing revenue stream for Apple. Ben Sargent here, lovely to see you this morning. Look, you mentioned the ecosystem uh, there. It seems no matter what device Apple ends up bringing out every September, uh, iPhone users will just buy it anyway. And we know over the years we've discussed, does Apple need new innovations? Uh, Over the past sort of few iPhones, they've been incremental upgrades. The chips got better, the screens got better, the cameras got better. But does it need anything new? massively new. We've seen Android players like Samsung jump into foldables. Those are doing pretty well for the company. Does Apple need a similar product? Yeah, good morning, Arjun. Nice to see you too. Um, well, it's interesting because you know history shows that Apple don't need to do a lot in terms of incremental improvement um, to keep people locked into the iPhone and keep selling products. But I did note your commentary earlier about the fact that you know looking out into that fourth quarter, if the guidance for that is softer, that will be of concern. But it seems as though, although people are keeping their smartphones for longer, and that's, you know, all our research is showing that, you know, across Europe, we're seeing people now keeping their uh, mobile phones for at least kind of four years in some cases. That's a huge rise from a decade ago. They still keep going back um, to Apple. Um, so I think that, you know, they the, 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 the worrying thing might be that, you know, with the next generation of the iPhone, the big story we could be talking about is the fact that it shifts from having a lightning con- connector to a USB-C connector. That's pretty disappointing for someone who enthuses about technology, but ultimately Apple seems to have a very strong formula with the iPhone. And if they can keep taking share from the Android ecosystem, they keep winning. Uh, when, when you look at the Vision Pro as well, this is sort of Apple's big play on the future of mixed yeah. reality. Um, as you look, and I'm talking a, a bit more in the future here, does this become a key part of, of Apple's hardware ecosystem? Or is this just going to remain a, a niche product? Well, I was very interested to know on the commentary, Tim Cook mentioned that he's using the Vision Pro every day. Um, I'd, I'd love to know how he's using uh, the Vision Pro. I'm one of the very few people who've been lucky enough to try the Vision Pro, and it is a remarkable piece of technology. It, it's super immersive. You, you feel as though when you're wearing it, it's an order of magnitude better than any of the other kind of virtual uh, reality experiences that I've tried before. But of course, it comes with this enormous $3,500 price tag. Um, I don't know whether it is a transformational product right now. Um, but again, it's it's always been the case with new Apple products that sometimes there's a certain amount of, of skepticism going right back to the original iPhone, um, the the uh, the iPad, which you know, was somewhat dismissed as a kind of supersized iPhone. So um, Apple has a strong role here, but I also see the Vision Pro as being a product that kind of sits between two different parts of Apple's portfolio. So you've got the iPhone or the smartphone that we've seen societally now people cannot afford to live without. They've got Mac and you know, PCs. People need that for their work and their daily lives in many cases. And then you have this middle ground where the iPad has uh, lived before, and perhaps Vision Pro is more like an iPad product to kind of lean back, enjoy content, um, have new experiences. But of course, there's some of the interaction models that it delivers. But there's a long road to be um, trodden to bring Vision Pro to be the kind of uh, freight train product that the uh, iPhone is right now.
the only caveat there, Ben, is if you're comfortable wearing that uh, that piece uh, for a few hours, right, and and just stay on with it. Uh, I just want to get your sense in on the India presence, India focus of Apple, because that's been making waves from a demand supply perspective. How value creative is it really for the business? Well, of course, um, you know, a lot of eyes are on India because of the fact that it's just such an enormous market. It's a market that's growing. And Apple did say that they sent they they um, recorded new country level quarterly records in India, as well as other markets like uh, Indonesia and other places. So, um, yeah, they feel confident that they can drive volume into India. Um, secondhand iPhones could play a role in India because, of course, it extends that affordability range. Um, and it means that you can start getting people into the Apple ecosystem. Um, but let's not forget that the iPhone is still a premium product. Um, but but Apple is clearly very focused on India and, and was pleased to share the news that it is a growing market for them. You on the show. Uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, and breaking down Apple's earnings for our viewers. Thank you. For more on Amazon's results, because that's the other big one that we are tracking, and how Andy JC's cost-cutting efforts are starting to pay off, check out CNBC.com. We have the entire story up on our website. And also coming up on Squawk Box this morning, Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey tells CNBC, myself, he's adopting a more cautious attitude after several unwelcome surprises on the data front. We'll bring you more from that interview. Plus, shipping giant Maersk will publish results at 8 CET and we'll break down those numbers with the CEO Vincent Clerk. And Commerce Bank raises its full year outlook after net profit jumps almost 50% in the first half. We're going to be hearing from the CFO Bettina Orlov that is at 810 CET. We'll be right back. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back to Squawk Box, everybody. Well, it has been quite the week for trading. We saw a massive dip down in U.S. equities, three consecutive days of losses for all of the majors there. S&P and Nasdaq on pace for their worst week since March. And uh, some people are saying that perhaps the catalyst was that decision by Fitch in the middle of the week on Wednesday to downgrade the status of the U.S. sovereign credit rating. Others are saying that it's just more of a bit of a positioning washout given how far we had traveled in some of these indices. But you can see that yesterday, even though we did have a close in the red, as you can see all of these majors behind me did actually end the day in the uh, in loss-making territory, not as much as we had been trading earlier on in the session. So we did pair some of the losses as the day proceeded. So the Dow ended the session down 66 points, about two-tenths of a percent lower. The S&P 500 down about a quarter of a percent, and then the Nasdaq only down about a tenth of a percent. And actually, if you look ahead to today, you'll see that all of these markets are seen opening up in positive territory from the macro front. We're watching the U.S. jobs data very closely. 
but also keep an eye on earnings as well. Uh, we were just talking about Amazon and Apple in the earlier segment. Nasdaq seen opening 80 points higher. So even though Apple is trading about 2% lower in after hours trade, Amazon is seen opening up about 8% higher. So that's going to give a bit of a boost to the Nasdaq and of course to sentiment as we head into the final trading day of the week. But it, it was a little bit hairy uh, on Wednesday and Thursday. By the end of the session yesterday, we closed down less negative as we had been trading before. But I want to turn your attention to Treasuries. What a week it has been for bond yields as well. That has really captured people's attention in the marketplace. And actually, I was just looking at some of the statistics. It's the worst week for bond yields of all of 2023. So uh, it, it really just ser serves to highlight how far we've traveled. 10-year notes sitting at 4.18. We moved up 10 basis points yesterday. We've up, moved up more than 20 basis points for the week as a whole. And again, if you want to go back to that announcement from Fitch on Wednesday, initially, right after the announcement came out, we saw a marginal flight to quality, a little bit of money going into fixed income. But as uh, the hours evolved and as we saw sentiment turn on, on stocks, uh, what we started to see is yields move higher. So anyone who was in uh, that um, uh, the, the, the bond equity trade, so long bonds, long equities, it's been a very difficult week, very challenging because both of them have moved in the wrong direction. Two-year notes have performed relatively better, uh, but still sitting at 4.91. The focus, of course, is the long end of the U.S. curve as we head into more supply as well. In terms of foreign exchange, this is the picture for the dollar. And you can see, well, uh, we are trading slightly weaker versus the pound and versus euro today. Uh, the pound has regained some of the losses we saw right after that Bank of England hike of 25 basis points yesterday. A lot of uh, focus was on the, on the language vis-a-vis -vis moving into restrictive territory and what that means for further interest rate hikes going forward. The market was quick to unprice some of the hikes coming in that market. And today, though, we are trading slightly firmer versus the US dollar, the euro as well, slightly firmer to the tune of about a tenth of a percent. And then we're seeing the yen uh, strengthen versus the US dollar today. Let's switch on and talk about uh, commodities. Uh, here we're seeing a, a lot of green on the board as well. And this is uh, the catalyst for this was uh, Saudi Arabia announcing yesterday that they are planning on extending their one million cut in production. So we saw a big turnaround as well in, in sentiment uh, in commodity space. And yesterday at one point oil was up 3%. So more tightening coming into that market. Lots of oil analysts are talking about the deficit in that market as we head into the second half of the year. And clearly this is showing up in where TI and Brent are trading today. TI trading just shy of $82. And finally, the handover from Asia. This is what we got. Uh, with the exception of the Aussie index, pretty much all of these are, have been positive. The Shanghai ending, the, well, not ending yet, but still uh, up four-tenths of a percent in the session. Hang Seng up one and a quarter of a percent as we continue to see some of the more cyclical stocks do well. One thing I would just say is that the um, PBOC are saying that they could continue to provide liquidity into the system uh, with triple R cuts and other uh, open market operations. That's given a bit of a boost to sentiment overnight as well. We're not done with earnings. Uh, some more numbers uh, coming out uh, on the markets and crossing the wires. Uh, we are looking at Swiss Re, uh, the, the disaster manager uh, and insurer coming out with numbers. Uh, they have posted their biggest jump in profits in line with expectations for the first half. 
Uh, they've also uh, essentially seen their profit surge on contained natural catastrophe losses. Uh, the Q2 net profit has come in at $804 million. You would remember that in Q1, uh, they broke into profits after a really long while. So this is something that is sustaining the business going forward. They continue uh, to do well. Uh, I just want to mark very quickly what they've done with the first half performance. The first half net profit has come in at $1.4 billion. Net premiums for the first half earned and fee income has come in at $22 billion. And if you break it down uh, segment by segment, property and casualty net premiums were earned uh, or rather actually earned about $11.37 billion. You had life and health net premiums coming in at $7.76. Um, and then the return on investments as well as the return on equity for the first half has been rather encouraging. The ROE uh, has come in just shy of 23%. I also want to mark that their group Swiss solvency test ratio is well above 200-250% of the target at the end of uh, the first half. So all in all, another quarter of profits for Swiss Re. The stock from a 12-month perspective has done well. Uh, if you look at the three-month and the year-to-date chart, that would not get captured. But in the 12-month period, 25% uh, uh, is what the stock has returned to investors. And these numbers uh, just pretty much are evidence uh, that business is back and back in a good way. They're also, in fact, uh, trying to get in more AI analytics in terms of helping clients with anticipating claims and processing them uh, through uh, through catastrophes or disasters that may come by. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.